There are about seven Sundays involved in Easter or the Passover. But I will round it up today. Okay? That's what I will do. I will round it up by exploring the question, why is Jesus worthy? Because we sing it. It's in every song we say, right? You are worthy. And sometimes we don't really think about it. But why? What is that? When, when we are saying Jesus is worthy. When in heaven they are saying Jesus is worthy. What does that really mean for our lives? So again, it's a bit contemplative, a bit of thinking. But it will be worth it. And it will just be in a few minutes. But let me recap a little bit. When we began this series in April to look at the cross... We've looked at some aspects of the cross, the blessedness of the cross to us, the blessedness of his death on the cross. We looked at the curse is broken because Jesus became a curse for us. Do you remember that? And then we looked at the blood that speaks because Jesus' blood speaks for us. Are you with me? This is the blood that trounces the blood of your ancestors. The blood of Jesus speaks good things. Or if you like, better things. Then last week, we looked at the wounds of Christ. By his wounds, we are healed. To say you are not healed, to say you are not restored to God, is to say Jesus was never wounded. Is to rewrite all that. And last week, in a few minutes, I really touched a little bit on why Jesus had wounds on his body. And I was reading a scripture that says, he carried our sins in his body. The wounds represent the result of our sin in his body. Do you remember that? And so when it says by his wounds we are healed, it means by his wounds we are restored. And I use the story of the prodigal son. Just as sin managed to cut him away from the father, Jesus on the cross, by carrying our sin, said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember that? Cut away from the father. But just as the prodigal son was restored to the father, Jesus himself has restored us to the father. And therefore the writer says, there is therefore now no condemnation unto them that are in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set them free from the law of sin and death. Huh? Death, oh death, where is your, sin, your sting? Sin has been made powerless by Jesus taking the penalty for sin. And we are concluding because he was wounded, sin should no longer wound you. 
I should add this phrase. You should therefore arise in righteousness. Are you with me? And understand you are righteous. Jesus has placed you in a place where you are righteous. You know, even when you fall, you are still righteous. Just get up. Because a righteous man can fall seven times. Right? Did you hear that? Even when he's on the ground, he's still called a righteous man by the Bible. A righteous man can fall seven times. But he fall, but he's a righteous man. Listen, if you begin to arise and understand what righteousness, what Jesus has done to restore you into a place of righteousness. Righteousness, first and foremost, has to do with positioning. He has placed you in a position where you are a son of God. A child of God. And if you just focus on that, you will not sin more. You will sin less and less and less. Are you with me? Because if you focus on what he has made you, what you will see is the robes he has put on you. The ring he has put on your finger. Hello? You know, I'm married and I have a ring. And this helps you focus sometimes. You adults, you know where I'm, what I'm talking about. <laughs> this little ring, just as it is, just helps you focus sometimes. Yeah? You're a married man. And you slap yourself a little bit. You're a married woman. The robes he puts on you. If you focus on what he has put on you. You will arise in righteousness and become what God has really called you. And this year we are believing that we will manifest totally and wholly as sons of God. Amen. And so today I just want to talk about he that is worthy. And we're going to just close with some worship. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. I'm aware the children are going to be with us today. There is no Sunday school. We will start that next week again. Revelation chapter 5. Maybe let me just paint the picture properly. By reading you chapter 4. It's only a short chapter. This is like a Bible study. You're not going to hear a sermon. You're going to hear me try to explain some scriptures to you. After this, chapter 4 verse 1. After this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with something sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in the back. 
The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by you, by your will, they were created and have their being. We were singing this song. Did you see that picture of a worship going on in heaven? I'm going to continue reading because these words speak for themselves. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw the right, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found. Who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it? Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God, for every tribe, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Doesn't that just speak for itself? You see, I love reading long passages of scriptures sometimes in church. 
Because there's blessing in that. Because sometimes in church you can really get used to just reading a verse and then the preacher gives you all his opinions. So I love reading some long passages of scripture to really get the context. He is worthy. That's what I want to talk about. You see, oftentimes when we look at the cross and we look at how Jesus dying for us and the gospel that we believe, that, 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 that he, he, he came as God in flesh and, 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 and became human and that he died for us, bearing our sins in his body. And on the third day, he rose again. Are you with me? And he appeared to many people over 40 days. Many disciples saw him with infallible proofs that he was alive. And then that he left on the 40th day and he ascended and they saw him ascend. And they said, the angels, the way you see him go is the way he will come back. And that 10 days later, the disciples gathered together, received the Holy Spirit as he had promised. Those are the basics of our faith. And we must Speak them, preach them, understand them. Those of us that have got children, teach them till they know what it really is. Those are the simple but very, very strong pillars upon which the gospel has survived. If people have been persecuted for Christ, they have been persecuted because they believe these things I just mentioned. They are not persecuted because they were preaching about, you know, Oh, God is going to heal you. Most people were persecuted because they were preaching that Jesus is Lord and he rose again. Are you with me? This is cause for offense. These things I've spoken about in every generation has been a cause for offense. In our generation now, it is still a cause for offense. When you speak like that, people look at you and say you are old-fashioned. They look at you like you don't know what you're talking about. How can you believe that a man died and rose again? And some say, even if he died and rose again 2,000 years ago, what has it got to do with me? And some just say, oh, you are just bigotry. You are just going to, to you're just trying to have an, an excuse for, for excluding other people. From your life. It has always been cause for offense. Are you with me? But it is the gospel. But you see. This is the perspective of the gospel. That we have here on earth. Today. For a few moments only. I want us to to climb up higher. Like John was told in this revelation. I began where the, the man. The angel came to him. And said come here. And I will show you of things to come. Are you with me? It means by telling him come here, he's taking him somewhere. I want you to come up here and begin to see deliverance, salvation, and what Christ has done on the cross from the heavenly perspective. That's all I want to do today. And then you will discover why Jesus is truly worthy. And then you will join them. Because in heaven, the Bible says they began to sing a new song. This was a reaction to something they saw. Are you with me? It's not like some songwriters, Israel Hilton and the rest sat down and wrote the song. What best word can we use? Mm, Worthy? 
you know, <laughs> joy, yeah? We were doing some songwriting. It's quite work, you know? Uh, and what? Uh, no, they didn't sit down and think about what's the best word. It was a reaction. They saw something in the plan of salvation, and when it worked out, and how it played out, and they saw it reach a certain crescendo in their own eyes, they saw it, and then they, they, they started to sing a new song. I don't know whether you've experienced something really great that it caused you to sing a new song. Yeah? Yeah? <laughs> Sometimes God does something amazing that you, you just sing. Two weeks ago, we saw Dan singing a new song, right? Just because of a baby. <laughs> God did something and he thought, I'm going to sing a new song. And he starts singing a new song. Hello? A reaction. It, in, when God moves in a mighty way, sometimes you, you, just, you, you can sing. Even those that don't know you can sing are surprised. They go, huh? So you can sing. Because something has happened. This is what happened. The perspective of salvation and deliverance, if you think it is spectacular when you see it from the earth, see it from the heavenly eyes, you will be amazed. It is spectacular. It is something. It made the angels, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, it made everyone in heaven Begin to worship God. Begin to worship the Lamb. To Him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be glory and honor and power. Huh? Are you with me? So, how do we catch this story? To really understand what's happening. First of all, we are introduced to the throne of heaven. If we're going to talk about with a heavenly perspective, you need to understand this is my first point. God is at the center of his kingdom. Are you with me? You are not at the center of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with democracy. It is not about power to the people. You don't come to this to vote. You come to this with the center already established. God is the center. So how does John put this? He says when his eyes opened and he began to see, he saw the center. And in the center, he saw a throne. Are you with me? There is light. There is lightning, thunder coming out of the throne. And then he began to see other things. Then he saw other thrones, 24 of them, the elders. He saw four living creatures. But God is at the center of the throne. Are you with me? This is the way the world operates, should operate. With God at the center of everything. This so-called center of gravity, we must really understand it. <laughs> That's just a scientific explanation. God is, the Bible says, by the power of his word, he holds everything. That's in Hebrews chapter 1. This so-called center of gravity that we've begun to understand so well, and we think it's just a scientific concept. There is something, there is God at the center, and in him all things are joined. 
And he pulls everything together by the power of his word. Are you with me? So when John's eyes open, the first thing he sees is God at the center. As God opens your eyes as a child of God, the first thing you begin to see and realize is God must be the center of your life. Am I speaking to somebody? And most of the battles we have in life is, is because God is not at the center. And we're trying to, pull, to, to push and pull against things so that God can be center of our lives. Are you with me? Yeah. Nothing works until God takes center stage. Yeah. Everything begins to suffer. As we were talking last week, marriage suffers, your body suffers. Everything, your community begins to suffer. Strange definitions begin to come up. I watched an interview yesterday. I won't mention the name of who, the celebrity. They are pregnant. And, uh, and the interviewer said to, to the celebrity, Hey, so do you know what you are having? And they said, Oh, my husband and I don't really care what this baby identifies as. <laughs> Confused. Really confused. Number one, you're married to a man, not somebody who doesn't define himself. Number two, you're a woman, that's why you're carrying a baby. So how come the baby inside you, you don't care how the baby defines themselves? So in other words, she's trying to say, when the baby is born, the baby will decide whether the baby is a boy or the baby is a girl or the baby is a Z, Za, Zoo or Zoom. I don't even know. <laughs> when God is removed from the center, confusion. It's like removing gravity from the earth. He is the center, not just physically as in the sense of gravity. He is the center spiritually, socially, morally for everything. When we remove God from the center, even the justice systems of this world are beginning to fall apart. Because now all of a sudden they are beginning to redefine things and redefine things. And, re and where are we going to end with these redefinitions? Soon there will be no need for a court of justice. Because there must be a center before you decide what's wrong. Hello? That's just by the side. So the first thing is God must be the center. Amen? Amen? He must be the center. And when he sees the throne in the center and everything going on, he also sees something else in the, in, in the center. He also sees a, a, an altar. Hello? He sees an altar. I'm going to share some things, but I will not have time to read the scriptures. I will encourage you to go read them. He sees an altar. And before long, as John is, is, is seeing, he sees, fast forwarded, in the right hand of he who sits on the throne, which is God, he sees he's holding a scroll. Hello? First, let me say something about the altar that he sees. The altar is right before God, which proves to you what the Bible says when it says God commanded Moses to create a tabernacle, an exact replica of what he saw, a pattern that what he saw in heaven. Are you with me? So as Moses would take blood 
and put the and sacrifice the animals, sprinkle the altars of the earth without cleansing sin, Hebrews chapter 9. Without really cleansing sin, but just 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 a ritualistic rite or a religious observance of the law which God demanded so that people can practice being with God. Moses would sprinkle the blood against human altars. Are you with me? Which were before God. When you read Revelation, your eyes open, you realize there was actually an altar in the presence of God itself. And somewhere there, that's where the Lamb appears as well. Are you with me? You know, when you understand this, it also helps you to understand the law and why the law and how and appreciate the law and understand the role of the law in your life. Huh? But that's for later. For now. So we see the altar and we see him who sits on the throne in his right hand is holding a scroll. He's at the center. He's got a scroll. He's at the center. He's got a scroll. What does a scroll mean? It is se- we are told that the scroll is sealed by seven seals. And it's got writings in and outside of it. And this scroll, this scroll seems to be so important. Why? Because it is in the right hand of God. Now the scroll begins to represent the will of God. It represents the authority of God. It represents... The deed for the kingdom of God. Are you with me so far? In the Bible there's many places where you see scrolls. And scrolls sometimes represent God giving authority to somebody like he did to Ezekiel. He gives him a scroll. He eats it. Daniel. And scrolls begin to represent the authority that God gives to you. The authority of his kingdom. Are you with me? When Jesus in Luke chapter 4 stands up in the temple, he takes the scroll of Isaiah, opens it and reads, reads, reads the prophet of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Are you with me? And, and, and a scroll confers certain authority. It represents the deeds of heaven. It, it, a scroll is simply a book. Hello? It's simply a book. And as books are, the author of the book determines the power of the book. Huh? I remember when we just got married, I used to, to really argue with my wife a lot. She reads a lot. And, 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 and every time she wants me to read a book, I'll be like, who wrote it? <laughs> and then she'll be like, you don't have to know who wrote it. Just read it. I'm like, no, you're missing the point. I have to know who wrote it before I read it. Because I'm not about to spend 36 hours, I mean, six, seven days of my life listening to somebody I don't know. <laughs> and we used to argue. Now she understands me. There's no more argument. I want to know. If she was going to sell a book to me, she must sell the author to me first. Um, that way. I just need to know. Because do you, do you realize what it takes to sit down and read a book for two weeks or for seven days or for three days? and? And you don't know who wrote the thing? You know? Because nowadays people can say all the nice things. And yet it's just J.K. Rollins. Eh? 
Because the author determines the power of those words. Words impart something. They impart more than the words are saying. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are what? Spirit and life. Life. These words are life. So when you read Jesus' book, you are receiving his spirit and his life. Not just words. Are you with me? Now the scroll is in the hands of the almighty God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. This scroll is a powerful scroll. It represents the entire will of God. The entire kingdom of God executed to be executed on earth. Are you with me? Now the picture also looks a little bit like this. Like God is holding the scroll and is waiting to find a person that can as power and worth to carry out what is written in the scroll. That's the picture. He sat on the throne and he's holding a scroll in his hands. Somebody say he's worthy. <laughs> and the search began. Because God has something he wants done. God has something he wants to release into the earth. And may I suggest it's his kingdom. That's why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom. God wants us to pray for his kingdom to come. Are you with me? May I add that this is before Jesus dies on the cross when he's teaching this prayer. You guys ought to pray that the kingdom come. How many times? Every time. Pray unceasingly that the kingdom may come. That the will. What's in the scroll? The will. That the will of the Father may be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? It's in the scroll. Are you following me? So it looks like God has a will. God has a purpose. God has a mandate. God wants to do something. He has an agenda. It is all written up front and up. Front and inside. It's written front and back. And it's there. And he's holding it in a scroll. Sealed. Sealed. But he's looking for it to be unsealed. Are you with me? And there's a search that has begun. And the search begins in heaven. They find no one. Who can take the scroll from the hand of God. I want to show you what salvation really is. How it looks like in the heavenly places. There is no one in heaven who can. I, you know when they say there is no one. There is no one. There, no, there is no angel. There is no living creature in heaven. There is nothing in heaven that is able to take the scroll. So when they say there is no one worthy, another word you can use is there is no one deserving and there is no one capable. Are you with me? Or there is no one with weight enough. That's what the word worthy means. Did you get it? It's like you go for an interview, you apply for a job, and, and, and you want to be what? Senior manager in this, 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 this. And you do that interview, and they say, uh, we... We like you, but we, we don't think you have 
the capability to discharge the duties. So we won't give you the job. You, you are not worthy. That's what it means. Are you with me? The, the, it's, it's like it, it, when somebody says that, it, it, it means no matter what, you, you, you can shake yourself. They, you, are not, you can't do it. I remember those days I couldn't drive. And it doesn't matter what I try. If I can't drive, I couldn't drive. Are you with me? You get in the car. You know, especially boys. Every boy goes through this, right? When like every boy says, I can drive. You know, me, I can drive. Me, I can drive. As soon as they are 10, he's there, he's there. He's saying he can drive. You're in trouble behind you. <laughs> you know, every boy, you know, at some age, 10, 12, 13, 14, they begin to say they can drive. They just think they can drive. You know, but we put you in a car, you wreck it. <laughs> I remember there was a day I got in my brother's car. I'm like, I can drive, I can drive. I got in my brother's car. And I, I got in the car and, 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 and you know, and I want to practice. So I switch it on, you know, and, 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 the, and they, the gate, I, t- I tell the, the guard, you know, at his house, open the gate. They open the gate. And it, and it was a bit like this. Yeah. And, and, and I, I switch on the engine. <laughs> Remove the handbrake. Bah! I'm in neutral. And the car begins to go down, back out the gate. And they had the ditch right <laughs> opposite. <laughs> I step on the brake just in time. I don't go in, the, in this drainage that they have. And I'm across the road, the street. If there's any car coming. Now, I don't want him to come out. Because then I will never get in this car again. So I'm trying to sort this problem out. I'm trying to climb out of there, but I still can't think that it's not in gear. So do you see what I'm trying to do? On the foot brake and on the accelerator. Remove the foot brake. On the foot brake, I become a slave to the car. Until I send somebody, go get him. <laughs> he comes and he says, that's a silly, put the handbrake on, <laughs> moves it. And it took me a while to know what was wrong, because I couldn't drive. There was no one able to take the scroll. They could have tried. Those words might mean some people even thought about it. And they were found paperweights. They can't carry out the will of God of bringing the kingdom to the earth. I really want you to understand why Jesus is worthy. In heaven there was no one. And it says on earth there was no one. We're talking about throughout history, throughout time, back and forth. There was no one worthy. Noah was good, but not good enough. Abraham was good, but not worthy. Are you with me? No one was capable. They tried. They looked forward to it. They, they really tried. But they, their best righteousness, as the Bible calls it, filthy rags. Do you understand what it means when it says your best righteousness is like filthy rags? You get what it means? Filthy rags means, means uh, in, Bible, in Bible history, in Leviticus, it's, it's the woman menstrual cycle. Okay? The woman menstrual cycle, the rags, the rags out of the menstrual cycle, the filthy rags. Yeah. That's what he's really comparing it to. 
when he uses that. That's what they called really filthy rags. So he says, your righteousness is as filthy as that. And you think, but Noah was great. But his righteousness is as filthy like that. God cannot even touch it. No one was capable. Righteousness, according to positioning. Are you with me? So after they searched heaven, earth, and earth below, which means they went even for the dead. <laughs> and the Bible says, then he saw, then the angel said to him, or the elder, sorry, one of the elders said to him, don't weep. Because John realizes it is impossible for the will of the Father to be released to the earth, for the kingdom of God to come to the earth. It is impossible because there is no one who can do this. God is looking for someone to this day, my people, to this day. He found Jesus and Jesus is worthy, but let me just refer this to you. God has a way of looking for people. You want your family changed? God is looking for you. Huh? You want the city transformed? God is looking for you. He might have a scroll in his hands for the city of hope. And he's saying, who? Who's worthy? Who's worthy to, to, to open this over their family? Are you with me? You are a family of prophets, but there is, some, there is a scroll in heaven that says you are a family of prophets. And it's in God's hand. And he's looking for somebody in your family to say, I will have it. And you open it. Are you with me? There is no family that was created without a purpose. If there is confusion in your family, marriage is breaking, everything, just confusion, confusion. Some people are heading west, some people are east. You can never sit together. Listen to me. There is still a scroll that is written about your family. The Bible says he named every family on earth. Who's worthy? All it waits for, for somebody worthy. I'm going to show you what it takes to be worthy. For somebody worthy. When God finds somebody worthy, that person takes the scroll and opens it. <sighs> and the wilderness begins to become a fruitful ground. Because one person took the scroll. Are you with me? So the Bible says when John was weeping, he's saying there is no one worthy. There is no one worthy. No one not even worthy to touch this thing. Not even worthy to read what's inside it. We... The will of our Father will never be done. There is no one worthy. He begins to mourn. Why is he weeping? Because he sees humanity doomed. He weeps so much that an, a, a, an elder, one of the elders of the 24, decides to console him. He can't just let him be. He, he's weeping. He is seeing the pain. In him. So the, the elder comes to him and says, Don't weep. Don't weep. There is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. Let me use other words. He is capable. <laughs> he's, like, he's, he's almost saying, We, the elders, ha, ha, have tried him. And we know this one. He's the only one 
capable. Come down. You're going to watch him take this thing out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. Come down. There is somebody capable. He is able to. Are you with me? Read that word worthy and understand what it means. There was no one able to get it from God's hand. You know, you cannot lie to God. You know, you cannot lie to God. Anybody that tried it and they were not worthy, they would die with worse death than the death of Ananias and Sapphira. You are transparent before God. So when the elders are saying he is worthy, they are saying he has been tried and tested. The father who sees through him has seen there is no, there is nothing in him that hinders him from being worthy. Are you with me? And so John begins to see and says, then he saw this lion of the tribe of Judah appear. But as a lamb. <laughs> Quite confusing a picture. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy. But then he saw a lamb. The lion is not a lamb. The lion is worthy. He is capable. But John saw what? Again, that's for another day. But I want us to understand this thing. There lies the secret of why he is worthy. Right there. <laughs> you see, God is not looking for lions. He's looking for lambs, for sheep. Are you with me? What does a lamb speak of? He says he appeared as a lamb that was slain. 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 I don't know what a lamb that was slain looks like. But this is, doesn't look like a very strong lamb. It looks like he appeared as if he's weak. Standing in the middle of the throne. And he appears like a lamb that was slain. And, and he's alive again. He's alive again. He was slain. He's bearing the scars on his body. And he's alive again. He's alive again. By looking at him, you know he was slain. But he's alive again. And, and he appears. And the Bible says, when he appears, he went right for the scroll. And God did not say no. He gave it to him. <laughs> Let me finish. Why is the lamb worthy? When he took the scroll, they began to sing. There was joy in heaven and they began to say, Worthy is the lamb. Their new song. To take the scroll, to open its seals because you were a slave. Sacrifice makes Jesus worthy. Are you with me? There was no one in heaven and on earth who had died for the sins of mankind. To this day, there is no one. Only one man. Jesus. 
Because even if you wanted to die for my sins, you can't. You're not capable. You've got your own sin to deal with. Are you with me? Now you see why Jesus is worthy. Because they are saying in heaven, because you are the lamb that was slain. Elder one was not the lamb that was slain. Elder two was not the lamb that was slain. Up to elder 24, no one was capable of dying for you and me and carrying our sins in their body. Not even the angels were capable of dying for you and me and carrying their sins in their body. Jesus, 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 why he is worthy is because he became a lamb. Lived on earth as a lamb. Defeated sin face to face. Tempted in every way. But never guilty. You and I don't know what that is like. Only he knows what it's like. Tempted in every way. But never guilty. It's like if God looks at the blood of Jesus. He sees no sin in it. Are you with me? That is the only lamb that can die for you and for me. That's why they started jubilating when they saw him in heaven. Because in heaven they knew he has an assignment to die for our sins. But when they saw him alive again, they knew it has been done. That's why they started saying, you're worthy. You see how they are seeing salvation. It is enough for them to see him back alive. That's all. That's why they are celebrating that phrase. The lamb that was slain and is alive again. Because for them, that's the big thing. It's it's, it's like, oh, he he managed. He overcame. (laughs) And when he takes the scroll, I won't go further. But they are already prophesying. Every creature Every and, and, and they are prophesying and they are saying the people on the earth, these people shall now reign with him. They are prophesying on us. So let's finish by saying what has he, what, 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 what has he really done that makes him worthy? Overcoming sin. Living yet a sinless life. Being slain because of our sins. No wonder he was able to come up again. And live again. And in heaven they looked at that. And they said only he is worthy. They're not looking at the power that is coming out of him. They're not looking at the flashes of lightning. They're not looking at all the glory. And saying he is worthy because of the glory he is carrying. They're looking at his sacrifice on the cross. And that's what makes him worthy. Are you with me? Let me compare that to the face of the earth. On earth we have this, 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 this understanding which is wrong about who is worthy. We think the person who is worthy, the person who is capable is the one with the most glory. According to the material things of this world. Somebody turns up speaking a nice language with a good tongue on them and we think they're worthy, they're worthy. Give them the best seat in the house. 
There's some churches you go to. The ushers first look at the car you are driving to determine whether you are worthy to sit right in the front pews. I'm not joking. It's true. We've been to, I've been to some places, maybe you go to preach and you, and you arrive and they look at the car you came in. You, know, you arrive in your jeans, in your unworthy t-shirt. And you know such kind of people because they only greet you with respect after. After God has used you to minister to them and, and God has moved mightily, then they come and say, oh, pastor, oh, pastor, I don't know, but you saw me at the beginning. Why, why didn't you also, oh, pastor me? Huh? Huh? Thomas Didymus. He's not worthy until you see. <laughs> listen, listen. I want to draw a powerful lesson in conclusion from here. Understand, in relation to your issues, to your family, to what God has for you, to the kingdom of God, to what's in the scroll for you and your family or your city or whatever sphere God has called you, to be worthy is to be able to be a sacrifice. To be worthy is to be okay to be a lamb in that field. Hello? Which means some people will take advantage of you. Some people will even try and abuse you. Some, you know, but to be worthy is to be able to go through the being slain. If you show me a man that is not ready to go through the being slain, you're showing me a man that is not ready to take the scroll from the hand of God. You can pray all you like. But if you're not ready to go through the being slain, Jesus did not do this just to redeem us. He did it also to set an example for us. That's what the Bible says. His sufferings are our redemption, but his sufferings are also our example. You should follow that very clearly, especially nowadays where people don't understand what the gospel is. The gospel has this tag on it also, suffering. Hello? Huh? So I want to draw that lesson. He is worthy because he was slain. That's what they say in heaven. So next time you are singing, you're worthy of it all. Let's just come up and we're going to sing together and worship God and finish. Next time you're singing, you're worthy of it all. Understand this. It's because he was slain. And you and me have to follow that example to be worthy of the kingdom of God. I don't know whether you get what I'm trying to say. Nowadays, everybody wants to serve God, but they want to start from some pretty worthy places. <laughs> what Bright and Amy were teaching us and talking about serving, that's should be your entire life. Just know that. It's my entire life. When we came to the kingdom of God, we said, yes, sir, we will serve. That's all. For how long? For the rest of your life. Your kind of jobs might change, but all you do is serve. That's all you do. To be worthy is to be able to go through the process of being.
Did you get something? I don't know what God wants you to be slain for. It's never going to be for your salvation because Jesus did that for you. We're not asking for that. I don't think God would ask you to be slain for your salvation. That's just totally a wrong doctrine. But if there is something God wants to give you, the Bible says of David, in, of Joseph in Psalm 105, is it 105? It says the word of God tasted him. And he went through all the slaining process in order to be worthy to open the scroll. Now I want to encourage you when you go home and you begin to read at Jesus opening the scrolls and see the things that are happening. Because when he's opening the seals, when he opens the first seal and he opens the other seal, the kingdom of God, the end of every opening, at the very end of it all, it says the kingdoms of the earth have become the kingdom of God. Because he's worthy. He is worthy. It is because he is he, worthy to open all those things that the kingdom of God can come in your heart and live in you. The kingdom of God can come in your house. The kingdom of God can judge everything the enemy has said over your life. The kingdom of God comes as you pray now and you say, Your kingdom come, your will be done. It is done. Because he is worthy. You are not praying from the other side of history. You are praying from this side of history. When he, is, he who is worthy has been, has done it. And when you say, Father, your kingdom come in my family. He who is worthy. Begins to release. Let's just stand up and we're going to just pray and finish together. He is worthy. I want you to take a step of faith today and just let this word marinate in you. We're going to take a step of faith. We're just going to sing you're worthy. Whatever that you're believing God for, wherever in your family where the kingdom of God is not really fully manifest, where you are not seeing the results of the kingdom coming to judge what the enemy has put there, to destroy that what the enemy has put there. I want you to just, by faith, to just understand as you sing, you're worthy. You're worthy. Sing over that situation. You're worthy. You're worthy to take the scroll. You're worthy. You're worthy. Let's just sing it.